0: Hello, Stephen.
1: Hello, Erica. Where are we? In the village, sort of, talking about (laughs) episode 14, Living in Harmony.
0: Episode 14 of the original run as it aired in the UK.
1: Yes, and only in the UK. If we were doing this podcast based on the US air dates, we wouldn't be doing this episode.
0: What? I thought they were all the same.
1: Living in Harmony on its original run in the US on CBS did not air. CBS decided not to air it because of its perceived pacifist storyline. Whoa. This is like late nineteen sixty seven, early sixty eight. Public opinion was very much turning towards uh against the the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Like we're about like a month away from the Tet Offensive, which really sort of like put the public really against it. And Walter Cronkite, who's actually on CBS, was starting to sort of like feel the same way. So, yeah, just to give you a snapshot into the world that was when this uh, series aired, that uh, a network decided not to air something, not because it was pro-war, because it was so anti-war, possibly.
0: Wow. Wow. The more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. Yeah.
1: And that's something perhaps because the, I think they took the, um, the, uh, the pr- sheriff prisoner. What do we call him in this one?
0: I would say we call him the sheriff.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not wearing the gun. Uh, literally, Whereas I think you could sort of take it in this episode as sort of being kind of an allegory of not buying into the rules of the town harmony.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting that you ask what to call him because I was realizing, yeah, this is an episode in which number six mm-hmm. never says a word. The sheriff speaks number six does not he
1: doesn't does he even when he comes back he just sort of go storms in looks at everybody and then walks out again that's right
0: Mm -hmm. yep and it's interesting too because he's the exact opposite of uh of number eight aka the kid Mm -hmm. the kid says nothing in harmony whereas number eight does
1: speak you think that was intentional
0: i do yeah Yeah. well i I mean i kind of hope so because it's it's kind of a a brilliant sort of like mirror so i if if it was unintentional it was really beautifully unintentional but i would like to give credit to the uh the writer for putting putting that together that way
1: david tomblin who wrote co-wrote i think ivan j ratkoff came up with the idea i think for this um Uh, and directed and produced, because this is another one. Remember last week uh, we told you about Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, because they shot that one while Magoon was away filming Ice Station Zebra. This one, Living in Harmony, was more or less kind of conceived and written and prepared for while Magoon was doing Ice Station Zebra. But Magoon said that he had always wanted to act in a Western, and Tomlin, I think, always wanted to make a Western, so they said, let's... Let's just do a western
0: I don't like westerns
1: y- Yeah I was wondering how you'd feel about this
0: But wow David Tomlin is kind of a genius The The direction of this Was so good and the writing too It was I was interested in what was happening All the way along and I, I don't I don't think if this had randomly been My first episode of The Prisoner hmm. God what a mind trip that would be <laughs> like Huh so this shows a western um, I don't I don't think I would have been as interested in it but because I know about the village and because I know the character of number six and because I've seen some of the weird stuff that has already happened you know it it wasn't entirely a surprise that it was some you know strange drugged up microphone thing at the end but you don't get to find that out until so late uh, that there, that sort of feeling of of mystery and where are we and what the heck is happening sort of dreamlike feeling lasts through the entire episode and i feel like in the hands of a lesser director it would have worn off pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and just gotten kind of boring but jeepers like it the the performances are just weird enough to be like what and the the camera work and the direction is just it's amazing the the shots that you get for each character else they seem to be different like the the way that the kid is shot mm-hmm. is always a little creepy just like the kid is a lot creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets like the really really low angle on him when he's drinking um drinking the booze sort of toward the beginning and it's like running down his his face in the in the jailhouse and then later you get one where he's he's wearing his top hat and you see him in profile and he stands up and the camera moves up with him just like this slow. There's a lot of like really interesting slow camera movements that that give that give this episode some dynamism that really sort of I don't know, kept me kept me interested and the whole frustration of this poor main character who is trapped in harmony just the way number six is trapped in, in the village um, it was yeah it took all of the uh, took all the elements that I really like from the village itself and just put put them in this in this western you know uh, place which generally I don't like but because, I, because it was done so well I, I was really kept interested the whole time
1: why haven't we watched more Sergio Leone films together?
0: No, 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 no. Okay, if it was number six right. that was planted in the middle of one of those, that would be fine. Otherwise, nope.
1: I kind of... Well, I, I'm trying to think because I know that they made like the Dollars trilogy in like mm-hmm. 65, 66, and 68, I think it was, but that's when they were in Italy. I think they might have appeared... Like a year or so later, each time uh, outside of Italy. Um, so I'm just wondering what the, what, how in, ingrained in the culture these these three films were that sort of like kind of revolutionized westerns because I sensed similarities between this and the way that those mm-hmm. films were kind of shot there's a lot of uh, like you know just the, the silence that I think mm-hmm. happens and sort of like just yeah. like like the kid he never says a word and everything and I'm just wondering if McGowan is sort of like doing a, a Clint Eastwood-ish kind of you know, strong, silent type kind of thing.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, especially since, you know, the the show is made by people who are in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So if something like that comes along and even if it's, even if it only makes a splash in Italy, I mean, they're in the UK, they're in Europe. Yeah. So, <laughs> cause at the time the UK was Europe sort of, mm-hmm. and uh, it, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they would know about something like that. And, I mean, I haven't seen all of the Dollars trilogy, but I've seen enough of it to th- to not be surprised if it, if this was, you know, influenced. If it was not actually an influence. Mm,
1: cer- certainly, uh, the first one, Fistful of Dollars, mm-hmm. was out uh, and available. Uh, in the theaters and stuff, but I'm not sure about the second two. But I think the first one caused enough of a of a uproar not an uproar uh, a wave of enthusiasm, perhaps for for what was at, at the time kind of a dying genre. I think was westerns before um, Leone kind of kicked it up. Because um, McGuin also was born in New York and moved to I think Ireland in his youth. I think only like 11 or 12 or something. So he's kind of had this transatlantic upbringing. So I, I find that um, I think in the first scenes of this episode, he's sort of like, you know, he, he puts on a bit of a, a Western mm-hmm. accent, but after that he doesn't. But you don't really notice that much because I think his accent is kind of not that strong, either American or British.
0: Yeah, he really does have sort of that transatlantic accent now that you mention it. He, he's never sounded super British to me
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which I mean to me always just sort of I never really thought about it but it, it kind of made sense because he's Mr. Super Spy so he can fit in anywhere so it makes sense to me that he would have a very nondescript accent that he can mold in whichever sort of direction mm-hmm. he needs to but yeah I did notice I did notice his first line uh, as the sheriff being like sort of westerny and I was like oh okay I didn't remember this but then yeah it doesn't go on and he doesn't really say all that much he's a very taciturn character Mm -hmm. throughout this whole thing so it's uh you know he he doesn't have to do that much in terms of of accent acting anyway just fascinating
1: i I wonder if this is why he played well on both sides of the atlantic in like secret age of man or Man*, and in this because he sort of had, you know, because you know how how Americans are sometimes with people with the British accents, they <laughs> they immediately sort of back off, I wonder what's going on here. But I think he sort of like uh, um, played to both sides. That's why he probably like um, later on in life, Maguire. Uh, was a semi-regular is a difficult thing to say for Columbo, but he was on a few Columbo episodes and directed some Columbo episodes as well. What? Yeah, but I think he won an Emmy. I think for uh, as a guest star on one on a Columbo in the seventies.
0: Oh my god, David J. lore is shaking his head at me right now for not knowing this, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> huh? Guess I'll have to uh, have to drag those down.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. McGoun's got a fascinating career. I think I need to look more into it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm still blown away that you actually like this one. <laughs> I was like kind of dreading watching this one again cuz I, I don't remember what you thought of this the first time, but the fact that it was a western made me think that you probably didn't like it.
0: I don't remember. And actually, I remembered just uh just by, you know, looking at this screenshot on the DVD menu, I remembered which one it was, and I remembered that there was was a western one that was that was, you know, strange and outside of our our normal village and I was trying to remember: Do I like this one? Do I not like this one? And I, I couldn't remember. So I think, I think probably it just struck me as like I wasn't really sure what to make of it mm-hmm. because it was still fascinating, but it was westerny. And this, this time, since we're you know doing the podcast and I'm sort of looking at it a little more, a little bit more analytically with a, a bit more of a critical eye, I was sort of watching. F- and noticing the the directorial flourishes and the the performances and stuff of course i noticed the performance of uh what's a what's the guy who played um uh the kid
1: alex canner
0: so so effectively creepy and it's there's there's this real sort of like frission of i don't know cognitive dissonance or something because he's a very pretty man like his eyes are Gorgeous, and you know, he's got these cheekbones and stuff, and yet the way he carries himself is utterly just almost alien. And you know the the not speaking thing that's uh, that is its own huge mm-hmm. huge deal. Actually, we did an entire episode of Verity a few years back on on villains that don't speak. And like, I kind of wish that I had had this in my in my back pocket to to take a tangent to talk about on that episode because this would have been this would have been per- perfect. The uh, a lot of the villains in Doctor Who that don't speak don't speak because they are like creatures or monsters that don't have the power. Of speech, this is a person Mm
1: -hmm.
0: who just who just doesn't speak. And while you know, it's not necessarily fair that that is so unsettling because there are people in the world who aren't able to speak, and it really sucks that they sort of get you know (laughs) tarred with this same brush. Um, But but at the same time it's it's not just that like that's just sort of like icing on the cake it is it is very much the way that he moves so deliberately and so slowly and his carriage is very upright i don't mean western carriage i mean like you know that <laughs> wasn't no pun intended um and his gait and it, it's all so deliberate and so just unnatural Mm -hmm. it is it is all unnatural that it just creeps me the heck right out also I have always found the sort of like you know reddish long underwear shirt thing to be just the ickiest creepiest clothing so you know thumbs up to the costume director for putting him in something that I immediately just go (laughs) ah yuck uh yeah it was he was he was terrible the uh the one thing that i just i had trouble with the, like it really knocked me out of the story for a while was just the whole you know way overused fridging trope of you know killing the woman which she didn't actually die and then she did actually die yeah. um, and for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with the trope of, of fridging it's uh gail simone a comic book writer she sort of uh, named this this trope Women in Fridges after a specific comic book where the hero finds his girlfriend or wife or something uh, dead in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And that was just sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back because that is a thing that we see over and over again. Male lead characters who are um, basically emotionally manipulated into doing something by killing off their wives or mm-hmm. mothers or girlfriends or daughters or whatever. It just... Ugh. So every, anytime I see that happen, just because it's just so overdone, it kind of like makes me like things less. It's so, a trope
1: of Westerns too.
0: But I was going to say, but yeah. the fact that it is such a such a sort of ingrained trope in a, in a Western and they are like <laughs> the creators of The Prisoner are mm-hmm. setting out to sort of, you know, make something that's a Western and also at a, you know... You know, that's the metatextual level. On the textual level, you have number two and number eight setting out to create a Western. Yep. So they're using the tropes of a Western. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers of this. It's just great.
1: It is. Uh, and I thought, um, like, I, I I can't remember what David Tomlin's background is in, in movies and stuff, but I thought he did a very good job. For something that was shot in England, this, is, this looks like a very halfway decent western and they got um, an actor called David Bauer to play number two who is an American I wasn't sure about that until I looked it up while we were watching because I always thought that his, his accent was actually quite good and thinking that can't be a British guy
0: it didn't even occur to me yeah yeah he just sounded very natural which I guess I guess that's why. Mm-hmm. What about Kathy? Did you look her up?
1: She is n- She's British.
0: Okay, that yeah. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: as is uh, Alexis Kanter, who played uh, the kid, mm-hmm. although he didn't say anything, so he didn't really have to worry about that much. The, the creepy thing, going back to your bit about him never speaking, you know, it's not a, uh, a, a defect or an issue with him to speak because mm-hmm. he screams when, when mm-hmm. Kathy bites his lip. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he, that shows that he can actually speak, mm-hmm. but just doesn't. Mm-hmm which makes it even more creepy. Patrick McGowan took a shine to that young man. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed in the opening credits there, the word listed the three guest stars, Alexis Cantor is not only top, but he has a little box around his name to separate him from the rest of the cast. Uh, spoiler alert, he returns for a couple other episodes, even though there's only three more episodes after this. He's actually in two more episodes, um, presumably not as number eight, seeing that he died. But you never know with the mm. prisoner um, because uh, I think Magoon quite liked him and the performance that he gave.
0: I did not notice the little box, but uh, mm. it doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really impressive performance like it just it stands out in my memory like as soon as as soon as i saw him at the beginning of the episode like i was like oh yeah (laughs) that guy right and i just got a chill up my spine yeah Mm -hmm. he's just very very creepy because he's just got those super intense crazy eyes like yeah uh yeah creepy
1: Mm -hmm. i don't understand though why he reverts back to being the kid at the end of this episode and then you know chokes kathy and then falls off from the balcony and dies
0: i don't think he reverts to being the kid mm-hmm. i think the what i got this okay. is what i what i took out of the scene in uh, number two's you know chamber inner sanctum there is that uh we we get the back of number 22 crying mm-hmm. and uh and the and number two points out. Oh, it looks like I'm not the only one that got into it. So so what we're seeing is that uh, that she actually did fall for number six mm-hmm. and feels bad that uh, that all of this had to happen. My thought is that number eight and number twenty two in the actual village had a, a thing going, like that they were actually a couple, and mm-hmm. or at least had a, a working partnership because. Why else would they bring her in? You know, mm-hmm. he says this has worked every time before. This is a thing that number eight does. And he's good at it. And he's successful. That's why, you know, number two lets him, lets him try it. Mm-hmm. Um, so number 22, I assume, is his assistant or something. And, like, she's the one that he consistently uses to to do this. So whether they were actually, you know, an intimate couple or not, he is not pleased that she has fallen For number six, right? Like you get that you know look of pretty intense jealousy on his face, and I don't I don't think that's headcanon. I think that that's that's just the way that scene was played. Then you have her being so upset that she goes off and just you know kind of wanders around this this fake ghost town where you know all of the all of these things happened that she wished you know Mm -hmm. had actually happened, and. He follows her there or gets there before her um, because he sees that's where she's going, whatever. So I think that it was just basically it was a fit of jealousy. Like he sees how upset she is about number six and is simply jealous and, you know, in a fit of jealousy strangles her.
1: I think perhaps I'm just now thinking about this remembering parts of the episode when he runs up the... um the staircase mm-hmm. after he strangles Kathy and, and number two comes in he says you know you're not going to be you know hurting me anymore judge he calls mm-hmm. him judge and I yep. think perhaps he I, perhaps that, that's what was affecting um, Kathy too slash number 22 perhaps she was sort of still in mm-hmm. the game so to speak and perhaps that's what, so maybe both of them were sort of affected by the virtual reality that they were mm-hmm. uh, inhabiting
0: maybe a little i didn't get the impression that they were you know pumped full of drugs mm-hmm. that it was just just number six was pumped full of drugs and they were just sort of manipulating things from from outside which actually makes it worse um for him to see the woman that he loves falling for a guy that she's she's not even drugged up to be in the same world as him she's just watching from outside and he is that mm-hmm. captivating that uh, okay. that she falls for him and and he has to deal with that, so I feel like it was more of just he had sort of a psychotic break at the end there. so he has he has this break, he's kills the woman he loves in a fit of jealousy, and that's what makes him sort of loses lose it like he he just he snaps, and that's why he's saying, "You can't hurt me anymore, Judge, because he just sort of like retreats back into that mm-hmm. at the moment that he kills somebody he cares about.
1: I think he actually averts before that and kills Kathy as part as basically he is um, he is the kid again and then he goes back there I think that's what I think
0: that could be I mean it could be that the jealousy is just so strong and the fact that they are you know standing in an act in the actual saloon where mm-hmm. they watched all of these things sort of almost happen uh, sure that's that's the moment of his psychotic break he becomes the kid in his head and kills her, and runs up the stairs, and then mm-hmm. kills himself. Notice, sure.
1: that, notice that Kathy uh, lies down on the exact step where she was, mm-hmm. where she died in the old in the in the simulation. And then that creepy shot of the kid coming through with the uh, the darkness between the two stairs, and you see his eyes come through. Yeah, really well directed by David Tomlin.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of scenes coming out of the dark, there's another shot where it's uh it's when the sheriff. <laughs> is is in the jail and i can't remember if it's when he grabs the gun or or what but then it cuts to a shot which i thought was nighttime of him walking out but then nope the camera kind of backs away and he just walks out of shadow into mm-hmm. the sunlight with his head down and then like lifts his head up it was just that was that was great there's so many shots too like around things and through things with like a little bit of something in the foreground mm-hmm. to really give you a sense of depth uh, which is ironic, considering the fact that there is no real depth to the, the the characters that that Number Six is seeing in his mm-hmm. haze are literally two dimensional, yeah. <laughs> two dimensional cardboard cutout characters, uh, and yet the direction is is giving us much much more than that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that. You like this one? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Still, so- still surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I I I'm glad I can still surprise you. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else to say about living in harmony?
0: Uh, well, there's the uh, my cosplay. Uh,
1: That's right. Did you do one for last week? By the way, we, oh, we did determine that. That's right. I know there's a week that you forgot. It was two weeks ago with a change of mind. What uh, what what cosplay did you have in mind with this one?
0: Well, I struggled for a while um, because. Like, you know, there's there's the, the saloon girl dresses, which actually that was yeah. another thing that I found kind of interesting that I felt like most of the men's outfits, like even the awful you know, brown face, fake Mexican guy, mm-hmm. um, they all seem to be, I mean, I don't know what actual authentic is, but, but they looked like they, you know, were rough and tumble and, and would have been, would have worked. But then you get into the saloon and all of the other women have these bright pink, like synthetic material looking dresses and you know I'm sure women in the old west tried to dress in as bright of colors as they could but I don't know I I don't know a lot about historical fashion but I'm guessing that that particular shade of hot pink was not one that was often often seen it seems like that would be really hard to achieve Um, so that was kind of surprising and sort of lent it an air of artificiality Mm -hmm. which again I thought was kind of a cool meta thing because this is totally artificial and I don't know if that was supposed to be a clue that it was but it it sort of comes across like it could be
1: I haven't seen enough westerns to know but I I wonder if it's just a thing that happened in one western and was sort of like duplicated in another and just kept on and so it just becomes this myth Mm -hmm. of there being these bright Pink dresses, no?
0: I I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Westerns, Mm. and some of the ones that I've seen bits and pieces of have been black and white, but, like, bright colors, yes. You know, bright reds and greens and that sort of thing. Bright pink, no. Like, fluorescent pink? I I just, I don't think so. I mean, you know, go ahead and tweet at us and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I also thought that that it was interesting that it was just these background characters that were Mm. wearing those, and then you get Kathy, who... Is wearing more sort of sedate color. She's got little bits of pink here and there, like mm-hmm. the feathers and some of the ruffles and stuff. But she has much more reasonable, like realistic. I think
1: mostly black
0: mm-hmm. or you know. dark green. Actually, the the, oh, vel- is it really? the oh. velvet dress that she's wearing at at the beginning and the end is uh, is a dark dark green and then the the second dress that she has it's all sparkly is like black with uh with bright sparkles
1: i confess i didn't know that she wore two different dresses in this
0: (laughs) oh yeah the second dress was like had like weird ruffly layers and was much shorter Mm -hmm. uh, and the first one was was longer but she goes back to wearing it i was thinking like this is a pretty well-off lady to have two dresses that are that nice in like old rough and tumble western town um but
1: Further evidence that it's a complete sham.
0: <laughs> maybe. Uh, so I was thinking, yeah, neither one of those dresses really spoke to me, and the pink stuff was just silly. So for a long time, I was thinking, you know, maybe I would just go with uh, with a sheriff's outfit. Like, you know, it's kind of dirty and stuff, but it looks like it'd be really comfortable.
1: Sheriff's outfit. Yep.
0: But then, at the end, I was saved, because we go back into the quote-unquote real world uh, in, uh, in the village, and number 22 is wearing just a banging little outfit Mm -hmm. with uh i mean the hat's kind of plasticky looking which i don't dig but it's still that style of hat that i just love and she's got that yellow jacket and sensible pants and comfortable shoes (laughs) like i would i would wear the hell out of that just you know any old day
1: Mm -hmm. that's like a springtime outfit for you
0: Mm -hmm. yep totally
1: yeah i like the the um the judge's outfit with the waistcoat Mm -hmm. and stuff I mean if I can play the game for one moment
0: You can always play the game Yeah that's yeah. that's not bad Would you also have to have like the fake grey Put on your eyebrows and your hair Because that was a little bit over the top
1: uh, Wait a few years And uh, it would be real So no I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't anticipate that
0: Yeah well then it's not going to look like the judge Because boy that looked super fake
1: It did a little bit
0: mm-hmm. Yep
1: hmm. Alright is that it then
0: I think so. I'm really? sure if we kept talking, we could, we could come up with some more really interesting stuff because I felt like this episode just had a lot, but I can't call anything else to mind. It was
1: all very much um, kind of just sort of playing out the story of the prisoner, like almost like kind of like a rival or something or just mm-hmm. a basic, you know, because he gets the opening title sequence is... Uh, an homage mm-hmm. a western homage to the original he resigns somewhere he gets he wants to go away he gets beaten up and taken to this town called harmony and um the, sh- the judge number two mm-hmm. is basically trying to get him to play by his rules mm-hmm. uh, which is what number two does to number six oftentimes so I don't know, did, did you think that was was too obvious too subtle what did you think about that aspect of the plot?
0: no i liked it yep i thought that 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 made perfect sense i also really like i laughed out loud at the beginning when the title comes up living in harmony Uh over the action sequence of you know our hero getting the crap beat out of him by a bunch of cowboys yeah (laughs) like that was a little bit of delightful irony there and
1: it doesn't even show the name of the program Mm -hmm. it just says that's the first title of the whole show is living in harmony
0: Yeah, like I said before, if this happened to be your first episode of the show, first of all, you would think it was called Living in Harmony and you would think it was just a Western until you get to the end, in which case you'd be like, what the hell just happened? And have no idea.
1: I think when I first saw it, I thought that they had missed maybe the opening Mm. because there's no opening title sequence. And like at least maybe like throw the Penny Farthing logo up there and it's (laughs) the prisoner or something like that. But that is actually all part of the way to hammer the point home that this you know they don't as you say a lesser director would have like made it obvious that it was a simulation or something like that or they'd like do a cutaway scene where we'd cut back to like the number two in the place there and they're going how's the experiment going oh well you know that sort of thing but no they play it straight up western until it's time for the big reveal at the end
0: yeah it's kind of like just somewhat like bold audacious confidence which i really which i really appreciate oh and the music i also wanted to mention the music oh yes please mm-hmm. yeah music is is excellent because you get like it's not quite music from a western like it doesn't sound quite like that it sounds like taking the music and the style of music that you get in the prisoner and giving it a bit of a western like feel western Mm -hmm. flair like you know you you have the tinkly piano in the background that sounds a little bit like oh Susanna but a lot of the time when you see you know our our hero walking around deliberately and the kid walking slowly it's it's music that definitely has the same sort of flavor as what we get as background music during those you know scenes of not silence but Mm -hmm. but uh but quiet during the prisoner and and yeah and then at the at the end when he's sort of like Kind of coming to and realizing where he is um, at the the hitching post of the horse. There, it it dips into the the sound of the band briefly, and yeah. then he kind of shakes his head, and then it goes back to the western mm-hmm. sound. And then as he moves, it goes back to the sound of the band. Like I I liked the fact that it wasn't just one fade from one kind of music to the other. Like it actually kind of goes up and down and up and down as you as he's sort of. Figuring out what's happening.
1: The music actually starts. Uh, there's a subtle um, music cue from the from the regular prisoner episodes. As soon as he is done shooting um, the kid, mm. right after his duel, before he goes into the uh, the saloon to have a couple of drinks, there's a subtle music cue there, mm. at which which I thought, oh wait a minute, yeah, that's the music. But like it wasn't as overtly prisoner ask, mm-hmm. but it was something that they had used in the uh, in the show before
0: neat yeah yeah this is just I feel like I, I love all of the episodes of the prisoner but I think this is the one that I feel like is the most a work of art mm.
1: I think this one is probably another one that doesn't rate as highly amongst receive and wisdom so we are smashing down walls in this podcast God. you know?
0: fans are stupid
1: yeah mm-hmm
0: or just different from me. They
1: are just different from you mm-hmm. because the next episode is one that a lot of people really like. And I'm not sure you did the first time around.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I really didn't like it. I didn't
1: want to speak for you. So that's...
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Here, well, just, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe just like this one. Remember, I, I don't think I knew it to, to make of Living in Harmony. Maybe in, in watching The Girl Who Was Death uh, again, I will find something to like in it more than I did the first time maybe who knows maybe I will reevaluate I'll try to go in with a uh, with an open mind and an open heart
1: oh how sweet yes the girl who was death kicking off 2018 just as it kicked off 1968 mm-hmm. 50 years ago will be our episode next week on in the village on the incomparable network is that it
0: do we actually say "be seeing you" at the end of an episode like this? I don't even know if that feels right.
1: Well, I don't want to say like "howdy y'all" or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, by bi- partner, no, that doesn't no, sound right either. It's,
1: they had they had the regular uh, closing credits, mm-hmm. so I think we're probably safe in saying "be seeing you."
0: Be seeing you.